This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Central Station. If you've ever watched someone play the game Minecraft, you could be forgiven for being a little confused as to what it's all about. Strange, blocky-looking characters wandering around in a blocky-looking world where things are created and dismantled for no reason other than what appears to be pure fantasy. My guest today is Anthony MacDonald, an English history teacher in regional New South Wales, and he's been wandering around in these worlds for some time now. But he's also found that Minecraft is a great way to engage school kids in real learning exercises in a range of different contexts. That's right, a computer game that really does engage and deliver learning outcomes. Now, you might be sceptical, but Anthony puts forward a very compelling case and is now training other teachers how to use Minecraft in class with his courses run through TTA, or Teacher Training Australia. I started by asking Anthony whether just seeing it as a game was a fair assumption for the sceptics. Anthony, I've only ever really thought of Minecraft as as a game, and I, I watch my eight-year-old son engaging with it regularly, and I, for want of maybe maybe it's ignorance on it, I just don't know, but it, to me it just looks like playing games. Is Is that a fair association? At the beginning, I would agree with you because at at the very beginning when I was into it, it was just a game, but it only really evolved into something that was a bit more when I started to think about, well, how how do I get this game um, and how do I connect with um, my students with this game? Ah. And it's, it's only really after you start thinking about applying it as a learning tool that you realize how broad it can actually be beyond just a gaming purpose. Right. And w- what kind of students do you have? Um, I, I'm a high, secondary high school teacher and I teach from year 7 to year 12. Yep. So across that full secondary gamut. Mm, and what's your subject area? Uh, English and history. So um... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. So I'm, I'm a little confused now. Uh, English, history, Minecraft, computer games. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to need a, a slightly deeper explanation <laughs> How does yeah, it, that, doesn't, so, it doesn't seem like a natural fit does it <laughs> no it doesn't so it's it's a fair association to say it's a game to begin with but then when mm-hmm. you see the application for the classroom when when did that connection start to make some sense for you oh i'd, I'd say about five or six years ago when when minecraft started to be released as a, a full game not just it's through its development stages uh-huh. um and I think it really came to the fore when student, I started catching students in the classroom playing it between activities and, <laughs> and during their downtime. <laughs> and, um, but in, instead of getting angry at them and going, right, well, turn those off, we need to get back to work, um, I started looking at how they were using them in the classrooms yeah. and they were using them in widely different ways than I was. And it, it was only then that I started to go, right, well, if, if kids are going to engage in this in this way, how can we use that for good instead of evil? <laughs> so so that they, these, your students were doing something that you thought was unproductive, but, mm-hmm. then, but now you've sort of come around and thought, well, hang on a second, I can, I can turn the story around. So you would have then explored Minecraft for, I guess, the first time? How long had you been into it before you had noticed this thing happening in the background? 
Um, I've I've been into it since about 2008. So on the very first really early editions where all you could play was through an internet browser oh, okay. so I've, I've been i've been following it since all the way then and it's only been the last six years or so uh, basically since microsoft bought it out right. that it's really started to roll into that education revolution sphere okay so look from the minimal understanding that i have from watching my son play the game it's all about building worlds is that right um that's that's its most popular conception part of it yeah okay so can you take us into your world um my world it, there's no one world i've got multiple worlds depending on um what application i want i want to use them with so i've got my my own little world where i can just play around and de-stress and, and <laughs> just build things and and then then anytime i want to explore explore something with it with a, a class of kids I, I create a new world and and apply it specifically through through that lens so um, I'll, I'll give you the most recent one for example I've got yeah. um, an ancient history ancient history class in year yep. 11 yep. Um, and because we're in a, a very remote sort of rural setting mm-hmm. fi- finding an archaeological site to explore can be a bit difficult yeah challenge so um big challenge and so, where, uh, what, sorry where is that by the way when you say remote where is that oh we're in the um, central west out, oh, okay. out middle, middle of New South Wales and and what town a uh, little town called Candos. Candos, I know Candos. Oh, yeah. How about that? I, I'm always surprised at the amount of people who know Candos. Yeah, well, well, there you go. Six degrees yeah. of separation, huh? So anyway, <laughs> carry on. Yep. So because because of our location, we can't really get to Sydney to do any of the big archaeological investigations. So I teach them archaeology through Minecraft, um, and and digging a virtual reality site, as it were. Okay, so. In that case, what do you most like about this, though? Um, I think you mentioned it earlier, this idea of um, imaginations and, and the idea that basically with Minecraft, there is no goal. The only goals are the goals that students set themselves and what you can imagine yourself. So you can walk out and you go, right, I want to build a house. And then you go do that. Or you can say, right, houses are boring. I want to build a castle. And so you can go do that. Or you can say, I want to build a fully functioning computer within minecraft and there's abilities to do that as well all right so when you say to the students then uh hey here's here's this uh unit that we're going to do in history class uh by the way we're going to do it a little bit differently and we're going to start creating archaeological digs with minecraft Mm -hmm. do you you get uh people doing fist pumps and jumping up in the air are they totally excited by that yeah i get a lot of skepticism to begin with (laughs) The, the um I could, yeah, you just want to play Minecraft and Minecraft in class, sir, don't you? Ooh. Um, <laughs> but and and I, I get a bit of fight back as well because some kids think of it as a bit nerdy, you know, oh, right? A, a bit like Lego, but less of the um, the cultural acceptance around it yet. Is the connection with Lego perhaps because of its? Um, I've only sort of looked at it briefly, but it looks like a very uh, squarish, cubist, blocky sort of constructed uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Do they make that connection perhaps with Lego because of because of the way it looks? Yeah, basically that. Um, everything is made up of sort of one by one cubes. So, um, and that, that's where a lot of the the maths side of things come from as well. So, when you go about building something, is mm-hmm. is that a are there rules to follow? Can you can you build things that are structurally impossible, or can you design things that look like a bit like an Escher painting or something like that? How does that yeah. how does that all that work? 
Yeah, again, the, the only limitation is what you can imagine, really. There, there's some basic rudimentary physics to the thing, but you, you could build a house and then remove the entire foundation and this thing still floats up in the air. So <laughs> there, 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 there's a, a, a little bit of suspension of disbelief here and there. Right. But with, with any game or with any, with any tool, there are certain things that you can do that aren't really possible in reality. So when you say to your students, look, we're going to study history and we're going to use Minecraft, mm-hmm. how do you go about planning what sort of educational um, outputs or outcomes that you're looking for? What, so, f- for example, if I was a parent and I knew that my son was suddenly doing Minecraft in school and I, I then came along to you and said, well, that's, uh, that all sounds pretty interesting, but what, <laughs> is, my, what is my son actually learning? How, how would you respond to that? The the first thing I'd say is that everything we do with Minecraft is grounded in reality. So there's always a, a real world application to it. It's not just sort of floating around out in the in- internet somewhere. It's um, actually making it relevant to what the kids are doing so yeah. that it doesn't feel like they're goofing off. They're actually going to either apply this somehow or they can at least see how it can be applied within the real world. And how would they apply something? Can you give me an example? Um. A really good example, there's a, a um, an element of the game called Redstone, and it's a, a, basically it's a, um, it works as a rudimentary um, electricity system. Um, and so I've, I've seen this particular part of the game used to teach kids basic um, circuitry and how to put together electrical systems using switches wow. and um, basic yeah, elect- electrician type skills in order to build circuits and to build um, an understanding of that sort of technology. So it's you can simulate a world, but you can also simulate uh, real-time, uh, or oh, sorry, real-world situations like, like an electrical circuit. When, mm-hmm. when, it, when it then runs, does it then run to the rules of what we know about conventional electronics? Yeah, it does. So if you flip a switch to turn it on, it turns on and you can see that and walk around with it without the danger of possibly getting a zap here or there if you're playing with real-world electricity. Sure. So if, if it can go that far, what level of sophistication can we achieve in, well, a, a, I guess across a range of projects? That's a very, very big question. But mm-hmm. going back to your context of English and history, what level of sophistication can you achieve with your projects? Well, with with English in particular, it's a it's been a bit of a a challenge to make it relevant to the kids in that way because when you're talking about English and metaphors and poetry and things like that, there's no clear link to some of those more STEM-like subjects that yeah. you can very clearly see. Yeah. With some of your more um, humanities-based subjects, I, I like to think of Minecraft as a way to build and explore upon an imagination. Um, so I use it, I, I use Minecraft with my English kids as a, a way to build their creative writing. So I, I build a little world in there, a uh, little town, populate it with little people and say, <laughs> right, walk through the town and find the story you want to tell. Wow. Um, and just you know, try to get kids these days to be a bit more open to engage their imagination muscles. And do they then uh, go into that town and then only respond to it or do you you sometimes get feedback where it says oh what if the town did this or what if the town looked like that how do they how do they respond when they walk into your town um oh to begin with they're again to begin with they're a bit 
hesitant because they're not quite sure, you know, oh my God, this teacher's using Minecraft. What do they want from us? <laughs> um, but after, after a couple of sessions actually doing this sort of thing, they start either fully engaging and start really producing some nice work or they themselves want to go off and, and build their own little things here and there to further extend their learning. Um, and it's one of those times where you can say, right, your homework is to go explore and build this and you're pretty sure they're actually going to do it when they go home. Mm. And do they then produce a piece of writing about that? Is that is that how you would then go about assessing that? Yeah. So they, I go, right, well, we've done everything online that we can. Go off and do your writing now. And again, bringing it back to that real-world application so that you can actually have something physical to assess assess students with beyond just sort of informally tinkering around with something. Coming up... Anthony talks about how his passion for Minecraft led him to start sharing it with other teachers. It's a tricky transition for some, but the feedback has generally been very enthusiastic, so stay with us. And if you're interested in how other technologies like virtual assistants or companions are making a difference, check out my conversation with Sam Kingsley from The Brainery. It really is quite extraordinary to see how people are interacting with non-human worlds. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, the other thing as well with with robotics, which is I, find, I personally find really fascinating, is um, just across the board, uh, is that people feel more comfortable actually do- divulging personal information um, to a robot, really, rather than to a human. Yeah, <laughs> really. It, it uh, blows my mind to a certain extent. It's uh, it's fascinating, but when wow. you think about it. It uh, it does make a bit of sense. Well, uh, I think uh, I think the Terminator series tried to communicate that in t- <laughs> in T two when the when the young boy was trying to communicate with the Terminator on a completely different level. I don't. I'm not in any way suggesting that the humanoids and robots that you're talking about or that you're involved. In. To hear the full interview with Sam, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app, or visit the website central.com.au/podcast. And so you've now taken to helping other teachers understand the benefits of Minecraft. What what led you to do that? The fact that when I started to look around for um, things to go right, well, this I, I want I want to explore this and I want to see how this will work educationally. What is there out there? There was there was next to nothing um, because it was still seen as one of those niche gaming areas that you don't necessarily want in the classroom. Mm. Um, and it was it was only after I started to go, right, well, I can find one or two things, but may, maybe this is something I can start exploring and maybe take some other people along with me. Mm. And what's the general response been? It's been really good so far. The um, I think the biggest challenge that a lot of teachers have is actually uh, finding the time to sit down and fully explore what this thing can actually do. Mm. But once they actually are given the time, whether it's through um, sitting through a course or um, some downtime or, or, or leave or something, um, and they actually have the time to start exploring, they can start going, right, well, I'm from this specific area in, in my school. Um, I can see a, a real application here. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Do you, do you see a, um, uh, a concern here with people 
maybe thinking, look, I'm not, I'm not sure about this gamification of learning. Uh, our kids are on computers and devices as uh, too much as it is. Now mm-hmm. we've got this sort of thing being used in class. What's your perspective on that? Ah, uh, see, I, I'm torn with this one because we're we've been there's been a lot of of talk in the media, specifically on the on the nature of of technology and the impact it has on students mm. and um, neuroplasticity and all that sort of sort of thing. Yeah. The the way I see it is this technology isn't going away anytime soon. And there's many studies out there that say just banning it doesn't really work. They're, 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 there's always that pushback against it. Whereas if you can co-opt it and turn it into something you can use with the right boundaries and with the right scaffolding, um, it's something that can be really powerful, particularly for those students who might not necessarily fit that specific mould of a student sitting in class with their book and their pen, diligently listening to everything you say. Right. So, how do you manage the balance then? The the switch off, the uh, you know, the the shutdown. I I need to move away from this for a while. How how do you do that personally? Yeah, that that's a really difficult thing because it's such an <laughs> it's such an absorbing absorbing thing, um, and I've not a hundred percent mastered that myself yet. Um, sometimes I'll be sitting up far too late at, at home doing things when I really shouldn't. The easiest way I can really think about it is how you would manage any type of technology in a classroom in that you, you're very upfront with students about why you want to use this and the benefit this will have. And if they want to engage and walk down that path with you, um, being very uh, explicit with your expectations mm. and what you want the kids to be able to do by the end of it. Right. Well, I've I've been recently been in a classroom uh, and I've I've witnessed what goes on and I, I think the the thing that shocked me the most and maybe I shouldn't be shocked by this because uh, you know I was still teaching full time a couple of years ago but but maybe I shouldn't be too surprised but when I look into a modern classroom you might see 20 students 20 mm-hmm. laptop 20 laptops with with the laptops open and and I think wow is 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 this the new normal as in student comes in student has a laptop um so if, if when you run your classes and they and and students have an expectation that they they might be doing minecraft they might not be do mm-hmm. you do you have trouble managing the the time when they are using Minecraft and when they're not? Because I'm assuming that they're, they're using this on, on, on a tablet device. Um, well, we use it through um, through laptop devices at our school. Oh, okay. Um, we, we've gone down that BYOD route that some schools are exploring. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we've been trying to encourage students to invest in a, an entry-level um, laptop device to um, – to sort of get ahead of that game and, and try to get them to a point where they're comfortable with the technology and right. they've got mostly the same technology across the board. Um, but but to get back to your question, the um, what we do at our school in particular is we, we spend a lot of time teaching students about the um, etiquette around digital literacy and the the basically the the ethics behind using technology um, and we, we spend a lot of time drilling into them that idea that you know these things are just tools so we'll, if we're using them every day we're using them every day if we're not then you need to be comfortable with the idea that you know if we're not using it today we might be using it another time for another purpose and and that's okay the the hardest thing uh, we found 
is um, the equity issue with students and that idea that not every stu- not every family has the ability to provide a, a, a device for their students. Yeah. Um, and we, we, we as a school, we've, we've put things in place to, to help those kids with equity devices and things like that. And so when you say to them, uh, okay, devices away or laptops down, can we just talk for a while? Have you built mm-hmm. up a... I mean, I'm assuming you might have built up some kind of a rapport where they they see you as being so connected that they might just say, "Oh, okay, I'll stop using my device now and listen to uh, listen to what my teacher has to say." Are you in that zone yet? Uh, I I think I am. There, there's always that pushback every now and then because no 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 kids are perfect 100% of the time. Um, <laughs> oh, really? But. <laughs> This just in news. Um, <laughs> yeah, news just to hand. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, the the place I am with my kids at the moment, it's it's been a lot of work to get them there. But that work is paying off, and we're able to move in and out of that sphere um, comfortably with a minimum amount of distra- distraction. Mm. Um, yeah. Ultimately, if if you want the benefits of of it. Um, and I know people don't like to hear this sort of thing, but the benefits of it need to be built up mm. and developed over time. And it's something that can only really be developed over time, really. So what do you hope teachers will take from one of your courses? Can you run us through that? Um, so the, the first of my course, the, the one set up just for beginners, is the, the thing I'm hoping for them the most to think about is just to um, open their mind for the pedagogy that's possible just by thinking of how this can be used um, and developing one or two lessons that might explore this, even if they don't get to the point where they're using it with kids, just opening their mind to the idea that this is a new tool that kids love, that kids are really engaged in, and this could possibly be a way for them to further engage with their students in a much more meaningful way than they might have before. And we're talking about people who've never looked at Minecraft before, or do you, do you usually get people who are sort of in that space? Um, I, mo- most of the people who come to the course are people who've gone, right, well, I've seen my kids playing this all the time. What's it about? Or my kids are playing <laughs> this at home. Um, is it as evil as the, in- as the internet tells me it is? And so, yeah, m- m- most of the people who come to it are, right, well you know, what is it? But occasionally a couple of people will come and go, right, well, I've been playing for a while. Ah. <laughs> tell, tell me how I can use this in my classroom. And what sort of uh, feedback are you getting from the teachers who are seeing this from the, for the first time? Re- really good feedback so far. Um, uh, a lot of kids, um, I've, I've got one in particular going, um, uh, one, one teacher in particular, looking at how this could be used with um, uh, kids on the spectrum, autistic children, All right. as a way of improving and working on their communication skills. Um, and um, just really thinking outside the box in ways to, um, to to use this for things it's never been intended to be used for. Well, that's interesting that you, that you mentioned that, uh, uh, that application of children with special needs. How, how do you see that generally? Is that kind of like the undiscovered country? Are we really opening up a, a, a real potential there? I, I think with the way that we're moving down, um, with the way we deal with students now with special needs, we're, we're much more open and we're much more accepting of um, the need to differentiate and provide suitable adjustments for these students, um, not just locking them away in a, a, a dark part of the school and leaving it as that place over there. Um 
And so using things like this is a very quick and easy and fun way to get into the same thought patterns and wavelengths as some of these kids and start building that rapport um, that you might not otherwise have or have the time to build with these kids. It sounds very cool. I know that we're getting close to school holidays. Mm -hmm. Given the fact that uh, you're going to have a bit of time off, uh, well-earned, of course, time off Mm -hmm. coming up, (laughs) let's... um, Let's delve into what kind of what mm-hmm. kind of a world would you build, knowing that you've got a little bit of downtime coming up, and you can just be as creative as you want to be. Where, where would you go today? Um, because oh, I'm a history buff. My first my first thing is right. What type of castle am I building today? <laughs> what, my well, um, <laughs> which country? <laughs> which country? My yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Japanese castle, European castle, whatnot. Um, yeah, I. Because I, I I started in this whole um, this this thing with as using Minecraft as as a stress reliever as a, a downtime tool, um, usually that's where I go first, and then I start just tooling around with things, and I'll go right. Well, I've got a I've got a castle now. I want a drawbridge. How would I build a drawbridge that opens and closes when I push a button? Let's go see how that can be done. And, and that's kind of the insidious nature of Minecraft. You'll want to build something. And then before you know it, you're doing some homework to figure out how it actually gets done. <laughs> so when you say that you like to build these worlds because it's your downtime, what you're really saying is, I want to bring Minecraft into the classroom so that the classroom is my downtime. <laughs> yeah. B- build a, a much more invo- a happy environment so that, you know, I'm not that stereotypically stressed teacher with the hair frizzing up everywhere. <laughs> Well, of course, you're doing all this for absolutely the right reasons. Look, Anthony, it sounds like you have a really great time with your students. Uh, it's been so great to talk to you this afternoon. Thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Central Station. If you found this episode helpful and know a teacher that could benefit from one of Anthony's courses, then please share it with them. To find out more about Anthony's courses for teachers, visit the TTA website, tta.edu.au. And for all our other guests and interviews, you can subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app or visit the website, central.com.au slash podcast. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.